We talk about writing and film and working on short stories and his new book and all kinds of neat things. Oh, and his award and the award ceremony and all kinds of cool stuff. So here's Sean. Hi, Sean. Welcome to the show. How you doing, Sherry? It's a pleasure to be here again. Oh, it's great to have you. How are you doing? Anything new and happy there? Yeah, I'm, I'm doing well. I just had a book that came out on March 1st called Weird World War Three, Or sorry, Weird World War Four. It's the sequel. <laughs> okay. The timing is kind of odd, but I certainly did not plan it that way. A little slip of the tongue there, too. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, I did have an anthology that came out in 2020 that was called Weird World War Three. So, unfortunately, it was uh, fairly well-timed, maybe two years off. Yeah, sad. Um, anyway, um, I just wanted to ask you about um, a few different things. One, do you have a type of book that you like to read? Or, or um, do you read everything? I, I read everything, but the sorts of things that I like to focus on, on the in the nonfiction space, anything related to history, um, on in the fiction space, I enjoy um, reading horror as well as science fiction. Um, in terms of authors. Older authors that I like are uh, like H.P. Lovecraft, um, Clark Ashton Smith, Algernon Blackwood, and then you know there, there's there's modern authors that are in my book uh, as an example in Weird World War Four, like Laird Barron I think is particularly talented, um, John Langan, I like work from uh, T.C. McCarthy. You know, also, um, you know, modern author, obviously. Um, Erica Satifka also, I think, writes really creepy, um, engrossing fiction, uh, almost like a Shirley Jackson type or Shirley Jackson-esque sort of matter-of-fact all shucks horror, <laughs> like all shucks. Like, we just we just stoned the person that, uh, you know, won the lottery, right? <laughs> that, that, that sort of that sort of stuff. Um and then in terms of science fiction, um, Martin Shoemaker, obviously, is one of the authors in the book. I like reading you know, stuff written from him. Um, Brad Torgerson, I also enjoy, um, who's also in the anthology. 
in terms of historical stuff, uh, Robert Heinlein, I think, is really good. Uh, Dan Simmons, I really enjoy. Um, his his book, Song of Kali, is extremely disturbing and haunting. Um, I, you know, I also like his, um, you know, quad, 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 quadri- quad, I don't know if it's called a quadrilogy or, you know, he's got four books in the series, but... He, he wrote a series of books um, starting with Hyperion and Endymion, and it's also a really fascinating, well-done series about you know, the technology and the future and and a strange kind of AI called the Shrike that is kind of near a river that runs backward in time, and it's it's kind of like a science fiction version of the Canterbury Tales, right? Where you have different people who are on a long journey. So I really, really enjoyed that book. So those are the sorts of, I mean, that's kind of a lot of stuff to to throw out there, but um, I also enjoy Steinbeck in terms of historical uh, books. I I really like The Grapes of Wrath. And being in Northern California, it, it also really resonates and also having you know i also went to stanford as he did so i I, you know i really like his work as well very diverse um (laughs) yeah a lot lot of a lot of random things i know um i i'm a little i like all different do you like jump different genres i mean like go from one to another not read the same uh type one after another right well, I don't. I don't even do it. I do it in parallel. So I'll, I'll have a number of different books that I'll be reading simultaneously. All right. So I'll read a lot of, a lot of short stories. I mean, I have a massive pile. I, I like. I'll never. I, I never get through it, because I I tend to add more books than complete. But, um, you know, I like reading short story anthologies. Um, I like reading, you know, particular authors' collections. I like reading, um, you know, novels, and then and then sometimes, you know, sometimes just out of necessity, I'll read, you know, how-to books for particular things that I want to get better at, right? So, uh, you know, I don't want to I don't want to speak too much about this, but I started a, like a YouTube channel about two months ago, so I have a, a book that I'm almost completely through about you know, how to get better at that and, and, you know, how the, how the algorithm algorithms work and, and all that good stuff. So, uh, and then I also have another book on my to read list that's right next to me about Russian black magic and like the history around, around that, that I'll, I'll get into it after that. And then also, um, on top of that, I have a book again that I haven't gotten into yet, but I want to read Xenophon. Um, his his Persian exposition, so I can learn more about the Ten Thousand, because I'm working on a novel that uses that as inspiration. Um, you know, in terms of if you're familiar with the story, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So yeah. So you know, the, again, really quick. There's a you know, Ten Thousand Greek mercenaries. There, the, the 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 Persian emperor that hired them gets deposed, and then they have to fight their way back home, right? So I have a science fiction novel that I'm working on. Uh, that is, is tentatively titled Wormwood Down. That's about something like that, where there's a 
an extraterrestrial craft that crashes in the Russian Far East, and there's a Delta Force team that is getting you know inserted into that region as the you know, the Chinese move from the south to also try to retrieve it. So you have three world powers that are you know trying to gain access to this advanced technology at once, and this you know lonely team is going to obviously try to get there, but they're also going to have to fight their way back home. So it's you know loosely inspired by that. So I have a ton of I I, re, I read another book to do research on that. Um, you know I, I read a little bit of tr- well I shouldn't say trash I wouldn't I wouldn't uh, um, but you know I you know I, I would I absorb as much as I possibly can in order to do that research. I read a book called Relentless Strike about the Joint Special Operations Command, just so I could learn more about Delta Force and how they they operate. So, you know, a lot of stuff I read is also just for research purposes as well as as well as enjoyment. So, anyway, that's that's kind of you know as I'm looking around, and then I have a ton of other books that are up in my bedroom. And every time I try to put some of these books away, I add another book to the pile, and I feel like I'm in this never-ending uh, cycle of reading. Yeah. I read several books at the same time too. I just, I just, it's, I don't know if it's because I, I actually rotate my writing sort of like that too. But I'm at different stages in my writing when I'm working on them simultaneously. Uh-huh. With my reading, I'm just reading. Um, I mean, a lot of times it's this is sort of serendipitous, but uh, there are times when I'm reading something and. It's like it would work into one of the books that I'm, or stories that I'm working on. Has that ever happened to you? It's like it's not planned. You're just like reading it for pleasure, but something clicks and you're like, you know, it, it inspires you to do something that in a different direction or something when you're working on your book or your story. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, there's and, and there's also stuff when sometimes it's it's accidental it's accidental but sometimes it's deliberate like i said there's there's um in that n- novel that i'm working on there was a technique that that the these operators use to you know uh, kind of open open windows right on a, or you know to get into a car something like that and you know, I had something really crude, and then I found out how they actually did it, and I, you know, changed my my novel. And it's just, it's a tiny detail that doesn't really make an overall difference on the plot, but it helps with the verisimilitude because you've done your research, and somebody who actually has that experience, it'll be a little bit more believable. I I also I also did a I wrote a short story. That involved the Battle of Korsk, which is the largest. It was the largest tank battle in history that no, like, very few Americans know about. On the Eastern Front, front between Germany and the Soviet Union, and you learn when you do research for that. And, I, and this is this is like just reading I did a long time ago, and it partly inspired a story. But you learn little little historical details that you never really think would be a thing. But the this place, which is you know kind of a, across the border right now between uh, Ukraine and, and Russia, this you know where the battle took place, 
the Germans were having trouble navigating because the iron deposits in the region were so heavy that their compasses wouldn't work properly because of the magnetic field, you know, the elevated magnetic field in the region. So they're like little tiny historical facts that are really interesting when you when you read. If you don't, you know, you don't read as often or you don't diversify your reading and read as as you know many different things as possible, you you'll miss you'll miss some of these nuances and, and some of these things. That's true. That's true. It's funny because sometimes you do something like you're bored and <laughs> and a um a spin off from a series that you used to watch comes out and you start watching it and there be you really start enjoying it even though it's very different. And then you, mm-hmm. it's it's set in a different time period, and, you, and and there's some things in it that you're like, oh, I got I've gotten inspired by this. It, it's it's a spinoff of Father Brown, and it's called A Sister mm-hmm. Boniface, and it, it sounds like it's all religious, but it's not. It's murder mysteries, um, and it, and it's set in <laughs> different um, sort of. It's set in a village, but set uh, um, with different culture type things, like rock and roll or um, government and stuff like that. And it was so funny because I had just watched this thing about spies, and in the episode, uh, a an a, a agent for Russia, because um, it was it's set in the sixties. So I guess this is Russia the Soviet Union then. Um, yeah. Yeah, and a spy for the Soviet Union kills someone with two different poisons, and one of the poison is a um, from a nuclear bomb. You know the waste. And I was like, oh my god, that's just like what I just saw in this thing about spies. <laughs> I I wonder if the right kind of people who wrote this episode actually saw the same thing. (laughs) Well, I I think there was I think there was a Tom Clancy book in the '80s about terrorists flying planes into skyscrapers, right? So there's a lot of weird weird stuff like that 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 happens, right? Yeah, where you kind of. You know, randomly it's going to happen that way, but it's almost like it's a premonition. Yeah, it's a, it, I, I can't remember. My dad uh, was a big reader. I mean, talk about the verse. Um, but he read everything he'd get his hands on, and he w- would read really fast. Um, if we were reading bo- a book together, he would finish like four chapters before I even started and said, All right, where are you? And I said, Chapter one still down. I just picked it up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Yeah, I, I I I wish I were a faster reader. That that would definitely come in handy. I'm a slow, plodding reader. I'm I'm actually a pretty fast reader, but not compared to my dad. He could read seven or eight books in a week. Um, he was oh, an wow. amazing reader. Um, anyway, so he was he loved. He loved these books about um, spies. I can't even remember the name of the series. But even though I've never read one of the books, I know about the books because my dad was also an amazing storyteller, 
And he says, well, I know you're never going to read it, so let me tell you. And he tell me the entire book as we were driving to work or something. <laughs> <laughs> well, it probably saved you some time. Oh, it was, it was so funny. He would do that a lot. It's like, um, there was something in Ender's Game that bothered me. I'm not going to go into it. So I never read it. He goes, I know you're never going to read it because of this thing, but let me tell you about the rest of the book. And he told me the entire story, so now I never have to read it. <laughs> it's actually a pretty, it's actually a pretty quick, uh, quick read. Yeah, but there's this you one thing. You get through thing. it pretty fast. I know there's just this one thing that I stopped me dead, and I just couldn't read it. Uh-huh. Um. So. Yeah, he told me the rest of the plot. I'll <laughs> <laughs> save you some time. Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah, my father was really bright. He's the one who inspired both of us to be readers. My mom was a reader, too, but she just, it's funny. My dad could tell you every science fiction and classic science fiction and um, historical book and all this stuff. My mom could tell you about every movie star, who they are married to, when they married, when they divorced. Because uh, <laughs> she read all the movie star autobiographies. Um, so, you know, we, she, they, they both read and just read very different tastes. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know how I don't know how helpful either are in terms of retaining that sort of information, right? Yeah, no, I I mean I don't use it. Or, I mean, but it just it's more like it, it, like if we were at a restaurant and there was a movie star, my mom would see it. My mom would see them, even if they were incognito. <laughs> she would have. She would have recognized them. Um, she just. I'll give you a small example. We were. This was when we were young, early 70s. We were in line to see a children's movie that he, uh, the movie star was Fred Astaire. The Fred Astaire was actually in. And he was in the line, incognito. He didn't have his tube on. He was didn't have makeup. He had his collar up. He did the sunglasses, the whole sh- hat, the whole shebang. <laughs> and my mom looked ahead and she whispered, Fred Astaire's ahead of us in line. And I looked at him. <laughs> I go, Mom, that's not Fred Astaire. And my mom goes, and I'm, I was about, I guess I was nine or ten. And she goes, honey, I know who that is. It's Fred Astaire. Sure enough, when we got to the box office, we were close enough to listen. It was Fred Astaire. Oh, my God. I mean, that's how good my mom was. Did she, did she say anything to him? No, we were polite. We would never bother. Yeah. She, she would never, I mean, we. he was obviously not wanting, he wanted to go watch it with, the, with an audience and not be noticed. Uh-huh. But I think it shows what a wonderful person he was that he paid. You know, you don't, and when you're a movie star, a lot of times they just let you come in. You don't have to pay. He paid. Oh, yeah. Well, he had to, right? Because if he didn't, he, he would have uh, blown his cover. Yeah. Right? But I also think he didn't have to. He could have waited till everybody got in, snuck in the back, 
and been waved through. Oh, yeah, that's fair. I'm just saying he's a, he was a good guy, you know, to do that. Yeah. Yeah. But... Do you think there's any more people like that out there I, yeah, today? I hope so. I hope so. I, I, I don't know. I'm sure I'm sure there is. I'm sure there I'm is. I'm sure there is. I heard I heard Adam Sandler's that that way. Yeah, I think there's a, I think there's a lot of um um George Clooney was also is supposed to also be like that. He'll just he likes to be in, with an audience. Um he likes to see his movies with an audience. Um Yeah, you get instant feedback. Yeah. Um, but even if it's bad feedback, it, it's, especially if he wrote it and produced it, he was talking about it, and he said, no, even if it's bad, you learn something. And I'm like, yeah, oh, that's, a, that's an educated man. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, that, you, you tend to learn more from failure than you do from success, mm-hmm. right? Yep. In, in, fact, in fact, kind of the, the people who don't handle setbacks or who handle setbacks the worst are people who've had an unmitigated se- like sequence of success because they don't know how to how to handle the hard times, right? It's the people who've really had to struggle to you know, be able to deal with that level of adversity. Yeah, that's why I kind of feel sorry for the people in whatever industry that become successful young because yep. once they they become really successful and it's like they're the golden child, whatever industry it is, and then they have a failure and they don't know uh-huh. really how to deal with it, it's better to go up and down, you know, a, a, a hit, a failure, a hit, a failure. Because that way, by the time you're older, you, you got it. You, you're on the road. You know how life is. If you have hit, hit, uh-huh. hit, 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 and then the failure, it could blow you off the rails. Yeah, it's like it's like Tiger Woods. Tiger Woods is like a classic example of that, right? Yeah. Sad. Actually kind of tragic. Yeah. Um Yeah, and, 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 and he's often come back from these things, right? Mm-hmm. But he's had some he's had some you know, had a very like extremely high highs for a long period of time and then extre- like an extremely deep low. Yeah. That he had to to deal with and then again you know but anyway yeah it's 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 almost like it's a curse that you know if you get these early successes because it's it's much harder for you to recover from setbacks especially if you're young especially when you're really young i mean tiger woods was like six when he won his first tournament or something that's right that's right it's like the um the actors I mean, it depends on the actor. I mean, like Shirley Temple was extremely well protected by her parents to the point she doesn't even really remember making those movies. I mean, now she's gone, but she talked about it later. That she really, the first movie she really remembers making was when she was like 17 or 18, um, which which required acting. You know, when you were Shirley Temple on a good ship lollipop, it didn't take that much acting, but when she did something like Since He Went Away, that took a lot of acting, and she really did a good job. Um, that kind of stuff she remembered, but she didn't remember the early movies at all. And I think that's good, huh. because that means she was protected from that whole success wonder kid thing. Yeah, yeah, and it's probably much harder today than it was even back then, because there's just everything is... Now, 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 
right? It seemed to be more of a patient or a somewhat patient time. Well, you got to remember the early movies was not there was nothing. There was no paparazzi. There was the 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 media was run by the studio. You're you're you are the darling. Uh, you, they, everything you did is right, even if what you screwed up. But you, it's not in the in the press. Um, you know, it was a totally different time. Now, you, you go out. Uh, I I actually feel sorry for some of these people, um, adults too. Uh, they they can't even go out to get a cup of coffee at Starbucks without people taking pictures of them. Yeah, yeah. It's it's gonna be an interesting life, right? I know. Um, you know, you get like you you, you probably don't have to worry too much about security. Right, like you're kind of set as long as you're not, you know, you're you're reasonably intelligent with the way you manage your money, but you also have to deal with these intense interpersonal intrusions that you can't you can't control. It must it must be kind of you know there must be a lot of um, emotion involved and and having to deal with that is is certainly its its own challenge. Now some people thrive on that attention, but you know, others, others, you have to be able to turn it off and, you know, being, being in that spot, you're really never able to turn it off. I can't remember who it was, but one actor said, it never really bothered me about the paparazzi. I just ignore them and let them take their pictures and went into the car and just ignore them. But she says, now that I'm a mom, now it bothers me because I want to take pictures of my children and my children have nothing to do with my job. Um, I, 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 that's, I, that was interesting, and I really felt for her because she's like, I don't know how to protect them other than I have to keep them, you know, in a car and covered or something. And she goes, it's ridiculous. They're not criminals. Well, I think that's why that's why Britney Spears went nuts that first time, right? She was with her, she, you know, she had a bad moment. She was with a her baby mm-hmm. and the paparazzi were just, you know, completely out of control and aggressive. Yeah. Okay. And, and they followed and, and her. her about her parenting skills. Yeah. And they followed her in the middle of, I mean, they would like uh, cut her off and follow her and, and, and they were just awful. Um, and I think it was the eighties. Uh, that's when she went, I think that's when she wasn't it the eighties where she went crazy. She was, or was, it, either, or was it 90s? Maybe in the early 90s. Yeah, yeah maybe early 90s. Yeah, because she just, I felt for her. I remember they actually, it was like a, I mean, I have to admit, I watched chases. That's different. You know, a criminal being chased. That's a totally different thing. But I remember they handled Brittany trying to go from the recording studio to home like it was a chase. But the chase was the paparazzi. It was on the news. Yep. Like it. And I thought, this is going to end. And this is my thought by myself in my apartment saying, this is going to end in disaster. The, what they're doing to this poor girl. And it did. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, anybody with that level of scrutiny in the spotlight, you know, an average person will break. Yeah. So I'm glad. You know, again, it's good to have the the money and the security, but it comes at a at a cost. I'm glad she's you have better. To be willing now. to trade. I'm glad she's better now. I'm glad she's 
taking control of her life and she's better. I, I had to say that because I was like, yeah, because I I think that takes a lot of bravery to do what she did recently. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, my my other question is, when you're writing, do you work on your writing at a certain time? Do you have like a discipline? Or do you write in spurts? Like, I'm not talking about writing your first record. I mean, getting the idea and getting all your notes and stuff like that. Where does it come from? Does it come from the discipline of writing every day? Or does it come in spurts of inspiration? I would say it comes in, in spurts because, you know, I've, I've had kind of a, a, a business career that has been, you know, it takes a lot of time and a lot of hours. And you often can't control your own time because, you know, often, oftentimes the people you, you work for are undisciplined themselves and they ask for things at the last minute and, and do things that, that make it difficult for you to control your time. So what I would do is whenever I had, time or a moment I would try to get in as much as I as as much as I could one thing that helped with that so so I, I don't necessarily write on a schedule but I do write in this in these spurts that you're talking about now one thing that helped with me in the past is there's this contest uh, called L Ron Hubbard's writers of the future contest where amateurs can enter you have to be an amateur you can't be a professional writer Anybody can enter anywhere around the world. You can submit four, four times a year, once per quarter, and it's anonymized. So no one has any idea who you are. And you submit a short story, and you're judged on it, and they give you feedback. So if you write a story that's in the top 10% of submissions, you get a certificate that is, you know, you're, an honorable, you're called an honorable mention. And when I first started seriously submitting and writing, it was the first submission that I ever made because I, you know, I had, I had no idea how strong my writing is or was at the time. I had no idea how good I was. So I started submitting to this contest and it provided this discipline and, and I would try to kind of write one story a month, short story, and it was a way to fail faster. And it took me 17 stories or 17 submissions to finally get a winning submission in that contest. But it was enough to, to keep me going. The first story I had ever submitted, I got an honorable mention. And that was my you know, way of validating that, okay, I'm not completely terrible. Somebody thought my story was you know, in the top 10% out of several thousand. And it's really kind of kind of a market check or market validation that really helped spur me on in my journey and help me be better. Because let's be honest, when you far, you know, there are very few people who start submitting who get an acceptance right away, right? Because you're just, you know, when you start something, you're not going to be great at it. You know, you're going to have to learn. You're going to have to, you're going to have to practice and develop these techniques over time. But the good thing about short stories as opposed to novels is you don't have to spend a year or two years writing something to find out it's complete garbage, right? You can quickly whip something out, 
in a week, you know, at best, at least in my case, some people can whip something out in a, in a, in a day. I don't have that skill, but you, know, you write something relatively quickly and then get feedback as to whether or not somebody wants to buy it. So, you know, that, that's kind of my, that's a long, that's a long meandering answer to your question, but I would <laughs> say I write in spurts, but that's out of necessity because I don't, I'm not, you know, I don't, I don't write full time. I write when I have time. Yeah. And I think that's most of us. I mean, none of us are luxury minded. We have a lot of stuff going on. <laughs> that that's right. That's right. And and part of being an author today too is that you have to promote yourself. You have to build a following. You have to build an audience and a community. And you know, it's it, it's 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 a lot it would be it's a lot harder on you know, much more introverted authors, which to be frank are, you know, probably the majority of of authors, right? It takes it takes a more introverted personality to sit down and stay in your head for hours on end to create these worlds. Even, I mean, I, I, you know, although I might be able to fake it, I'm definitely not extroverted, right? I'm more of an introvert. But in order to get people to become familiar with your work, you really have to promote and you have to spend time on those things that someone who is a traditional author and has more of a traditional kind of writer's mindset in terms of, I just want to write something that's amazing, that will really gain ground with, with readers and really resonate with them. That's extremely important. That's always going to be the most important thing, but you also have to make sure that that you get discovered, that, that readers discover you. And in today's social media environment and digital environment, and you know, you have Netflix and Amazon prime and all these other things that are competing for readers time that you have to fight through the noise and you have to break through the noise. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so, so, you know, make a long story short, that that's kind of, you know, you have to do more than just write in order to be successful in, in that, in, in, you know, in this field. Yeah. It's funny because, well, my dad always called me his shy actress because I was an actor as well as a writer, even when I was younger. But mm -hmm. I am, I, I'm basically an introvert, but I just, what I call it a friendly introvert because I have no problem being outgoing with people. Um, uh -huh. But my problem was always, talking to a group of people and I had to start slow I did like I wrote I wrote I write a lot of poetry so I started with poetry readings just to get myself out there before I even considered starting to publish anything bigger like a short story or a novel or something that's how I started to acclimate to having an audience the first convention I went to, I was, the first convention, let me fix that. The first convention I went to as a writer to talk about my work and talk about writing and talk about books, I was terrified. I almost made a bottle of water burst because I was squeezing it so hard. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm kind of that person that, it's very easy for me to have a one-on-one -on -one conversation mm -hmm. 
and it's very and, and I'm also very comfortable having a one on nine hundred, one on ten thousand, one on a hundred thousand. That doesn't bother me. But in the in between, like the the cocktail parties, you know that that sort of interaction is for me that is terrifying. I feel more awkward in those sorts of situations than you could possibly imagine. You need me to get up and speak into an audience, you know, speak before an audience of a thousand people. No problem. I can control the agenda. I can say what you know, I can. I can say you know or talk about things of substance. You know, I can try to you know at least make an appeal to the audience and the same thing in one-on-one you can you can go go with the flow and things like that but in this in a kind of a cocktail party environment where the conversation's jumping back and forth you have to decide how long should i spend time in this particular coterie uh you know when when should i end the discussion when is it okay to walk away uh, and then, it, and then it's also the you know, the items that are spoken about are are typically more chit chatty, like oh, how's the weather? How's this or that? Like I I can't I can't sustain. I, I, you know, it's very hard for me to sustain interest on things that are more catered to form than function, right? I wouldn't always talk about things of substance, and that can be exhausting for people who want to chit chat. So. I, I hear where you're coming from. I, I would say that my sweet spot is on either end of that spectrum, but definitely not in the middle. It's funny you reminded me of something. When I was young and I would go to a party or a dance or something, I always had a novel in my clutch. Because um, back then they yeah. had what they called pocket novels. So I would they were really small, so they would fit very comfortably in a clutch bag. Are these like mass market paperbacks, or yeah. they smaller than that? No, it was it was a mass market paperback, but it was small. It was it was supposed to be to fit in your pocket, your back pocket. Okay. And I, and that's where pocketbooks came from. The the name pocketbook, uh, for the label, the book label was when they first started. They were tiny books. They were you could just fit them in your pocket or put them in the clutch or whatever. Anyway, I used to always bring a book to these things <laughs> and I would um, I was at a I think it was a party I was hiding behind a tree it was like you know those big plant trees with the big green leaves that people always have in their living rooms yep. uh, I just took a chair and I kind of pulled it a little bit over <laughs> I sat down <laughs> and I just <laughs> and the girl who invited me, she sat, came over and she goes, I see you hiding. And you go, just pretend you don't see me. She goes, put it away. <laughs> Good answer. <laughs> she said, put it away. Come on. Took my hand. Dragged me back into the party. I am not a party girl. I used to like hide yeah. and read a book. Yeah. 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 Well, it's just the difference between introverts and extroverts, right? It's an energy thing. Right, introverts derive their energy from inside, you know, from the, the the inner worlds that they live in and create, and extroverts get their energy from other people. <laughs> or I shouldn't say that; that sounds like energy vampires. But uh, you know, they get their energy from interacting with others. That really drives and refuels them, 
Whereas for introverts, it feels it's very, it can be very draining. And, you know, while I'm in it, I can, you know, it seems fine. But after the, after I get home, I'm exhausted. Well, it's just too much. It's also another caveat is that it depends what the party's about. If it's a party like that one, which was, like you said, a cocktail party, it was a very good friend who basically forced me to come. Um, anyway, we're still friends, so I shouldn't say that much. Um <laughs> But uh, if I go to a party, like a rap party for a play, that's a whole different thing. I actually, I'm not a drinker. I don't drink. I mean, I, I'll drink a little wine, but I don't really. I'm not a drinker. Oh, I, I, I definitely do a cocktail parties. That's the only place I drink because I have to, to get through it. But no, the thing is, is that this is the funny. This I, I'll never forget. It. We, I was. Um, at that time, I didn't have a car, and um, I was in community college, and we had a party, and one of the girls lived in Bel Air, and that's where the party was. So I had my dad dropped me off, and my friend said, why don't you stay overnight? And I said, well, I don't want to put your parents out. And she goes, don't worry about it. You, we have another, we have rooms that you can stay in. So... I, I didn't have to worry, you know, it was like, it wasn't that, I, if I wanted to drink, I could have drank, but I didn't, because everybody there was in the play with us, so I had a great time, because we weren't talking petty little gossip, or we weren't talking the little chitty chat chat that they do, we're talking about the play, and the audience, and you know, and the next play we were doing, and stuff like that, that stuff I got really excited about. So the next, uh, after the weekend, when the next day when we were meeting up at school, some of the people said, boy, Sherry, you were real drunk because you were having the time of your life. I can, all I had was grenadine. <laughs> I didn't even have, I mean, I always got something that looked like a drink. So I had grenadine, which is like what they make a Shirley Temple out of. Right. So that's all I had. I didn't have wine or anything. I had grenadine. And hey, I was like, if it works, it works, right? But I was, oh, you must have been so drunk because you were having a great time. You were talking a mile a minute. It was, no, no, not drunk. I just had a great time. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if they even believe me. I don't care. But that's because anybody who knows me knows I don't drink. So it was not a surprise to those people. But some of the people in class didn't know me that well, and they jumped to that conclusion. <laughs> Yeah, like I said, for me, it's only in social situations. I don't, uh, I'm not a drinker either in, in general, but at cocktail parties, I, I need, I, I need it to, to relax and calm down and get through it. Uh, otherwise, I'm constantly on edge. Like those, you know, those, it's just hard to talk about stuff that doesn't matter, right? <laughs> it's like, that's why I'm mean. spending time chit chatting. That's why, um, that's why the book came out. My yep, book, my exactly. my little shield. That's what I used to call it. My little shield. My protective shield. Because people usually don't bother you if you're reading a book. Yeah, unfortunately nowadays everybody's got their eyes focused on their, you know, their their smartphones. Yeah, I know. I I'll never forget this. Uh, my father and I worked at the same company, and. 
my father was a salesman for years, and he became a customer service rep. And because he, he just was, he was older. He was in the seventies, and he just ah. couldn't do the sales anymore. So we he we worked at two different sections of customer service, and the elevator doors opened, and he, and he didn't say anything, but he was giggling. And I was looking at him, and he just put his finger to his lips. And when we got out, I said, what? Because isn't it ridiculous you walk into an elevator and all you see is these lights going into people's faces? It's like an alien invasion. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, it, it's creepy, right? Yeah. They're just all looking down. They're not interacting. It's like they're mesmerized by some sort of drug. It's, 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 you know, it's, it just doesn't seem natural. It's just like the time I really realized it was I was at a Starbucks. And it used to be you would go to a coffee shop to meet people. <laughs> he would uh -huh. sit down and you'd drink coffee and someone would come over and say, may I sit with you? Sure. And he'd have a conversation. And... um. I don't remember, I think I wasn't feeling that good. And I went into the Starbucks that they were attached to Barnes & Noble at the time. And I had bought a book, and I was sitting there reading. And I, I, I was going to go and get another coffee, and I put down the book for a minute. And I looked around, and all these people were having conversations, but not in person. They were, they oh, they were like, on their phones? No, they were on their laptop or on their pad talking that way. They were talking wow. on – they it, at that time, there wasn't Facebook Live or anything, so it was just, you know, whatever they had back then. It was like, uh, I'd say, 2010, something like that. Um, but But they were all talking on their computer, on their laptop. Or on their um, on their iPad, and I was like, "This is bizarre. We th this is this place is filled with people, and no one's talking to the other people in the shop." Yeah, <laughs> it's it's definitely weird. That said, the the one thing that did happen was during you know during the COVID pandemic. Yeah, it's it's ever since the advent of the smartphone, people definitely spend too much time with their screens, and and it's tied to their you know, the dopamine hit that they they get from it. Now the problem is, is because they're tied to phones, they've done a lot less, um, you know, have a lot less practice interacting on an interpersonal level, and I would say you know even with the you know, the advent of, of kind of the year of COVID, it probably got even worse because, you know, you, you didn't even get a chance to see, you know, half of someone's face because they're, you know, everybody's masked up. So, you know, hopefully as we kind of normalize out of this crisis and, and we take some time away from our devices, there are lots of useful distractions like reading books. Mm -hmm. And when it comes to, uh, reading books. I have I have one that's come out at the beginning of March 
which is called Weird World War Four. And I promise, I promise that I did not time this with all the horrible things that are going on with or in you know in Ukraine right now. It's just you know something that I started as a sequel to my first anthology from Bane, which was Weird World War Three, which also unfortunately um, was turned out to be a little bit closer to fact than fiction. So I'll start with Weird World War Three. So the premise behind Weird World War Three was I wanted to do kind of a retro anthology that went or harkened back to the Cold War and looked at what if. What if we had gone to war with the Soviet Union? And then each of those stories not only had that what if, but also had to have a weird fictional element. So if you're familiar with H.P. Lovecraft, uh, like cosmic horror and and uh, you know elder beings from t- you know before time immemorial deep into geologic time. Um, so so what I did is I corralled a group of really talented authors and they each wrote a story on that theme. So fast forward to this anthology. This anthology, Weird World War Four, is about the war after the next war. Again, I didn't I didn't time it this way. Um, it kind of the timing's a bit unfortunate given that a lot of this is appears to be playing out in real time. But it has a lot of really talented authors that look at that um, particular theme. One of the authors is Laird Barron, who's a really strong cosmic horror author. Same thing with John Langan. John Langan actually wrote a play, a post-apocalyptic Authorian play. I'll just leave it at that for folks to figure out. Realities and multiple dimensions and and fighting a war with, the war after the next war with China and using multiple dimensions to try to find a, a way out of it. So there's a lot of stories with a lot of um, interesting takes on that particular theme. It must be a complicated edit. Um, no, it's, it's I mean, each, I mean, there's there's 21 different stories, and they're all they're all very different. Uh, some are post-apocalyptic. Some are you know, kind of uh, fantasy stories. There's a, there's a story that takes place in the Pacific Northwest where everybody wakes up one morning and has a you know a new or random ability. And some of the abilities are good to have, and some are bad, right? And, and the the, antag- the protagonist wakes up as a different in a different body every day. So. You know, one day she and it goes through kind of her struggles that she you know, starts out as a teacher, and then the next day she you know appears as you know somebody who you know just looks really intimidating and you know would not be a teacher. Other days she's in a wheelchair, right, and and can't do a job as you know any job that requires you to be able to be active and and use your legs. So it's a and that's a that's a. Um, you know, a really, you know, just a different take on the, on this particular theme. Um, you know, there's also a, 
a story that takes place in a secret space station. It's more of a like a spy drama in space that Martin L. Shoemaker kind of you know comes up with. Uh, and there's Erica um, Satifka has another great story. She had a really good story in the first first anthology, World War Three, and she comes out with another one where there are women who have to give birth to these super beings, and they're very patriotic, but the when a super one of these you know super beings is born, you know who are used to fight various wars, what happens to the woman is you know kind of what what you find out at the very end of the story is you know it's pretty you know, the, the, some of these stories are pretty horrific. Others are you know have lots of um, you know science science fiction element to them, and then others there's a there's a strong fantasy element. But there's 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 something for everybody to to you know, you'll find in this particular anthology. And then the other thing I didn't mention too is um, there's there's four or five stories that are are on either side of the ideological divide. So there's one story that's you know so there's literally something in it for everyone. There's a there's a story that's you know very anti-Trump and takes takes that uh, view of the you know the future. You know, what would the future look like if um, you know, things proceeded more in that direction. There's another story that is uh, a critique of cancel culture, and it takes some of the current, you know, things that are going on in the current zeitgeist and takes it to extremes, while also poking fun of military bureaucracy. So, th- so you know, that particular one is by uh, Michael Z. Williamson and Freddie Costello, and what it what it what it focuses on is it's you know World War Four is not fought with guns or missiles it's fought with paperwork so the first salvo of the war is the unloading of uh you know pallets of of documents uh that that the u.s has to decipher from the soviet attacker or the russian attackers basically so there's there's definitely a lot of so that i mean and that one is humorous right there's there's you know a lot of fat these stories. So there's definitely something for everybody. Cool. Um, we're coming to the end. Do you have a website? I do. It's SeanPatrickHazlett.com and, and I also have a YouTube channel. Okay. What's that? And the the YouTube channel is Through the Glass Darkly. Just, you know, you can actually find it on my website. If you If you go to my website and then click on the icon for YouTube, It'll take you straight there. Okay. And are you on any social media like Facebook, Twitter, or in- Instagram? Yep, I'm on all three. Um, I, off the top, but you, again, you can find those links on the website. Okay. Uh, you don't have any of the actual uh, names for those on your top tip of your tongue. Yeah, down, not off the tip of my tongue. Okay. Okay. Um, well, I want to thank you for taking the time to come on my show. Yeah, thank you very much, Sherry. It's always a pleasure. Thank you. And thank you for chatting with Sherry.